John actually chooses four smaller journeys that the Lord Jesus made when he was living on earth in the land of Israel. Uh, Jerusalem was the centre of the religious uh, world in Israel and John describes four journeys which the Lord Jesus made from the north of the country in Galilee down to Jerusalem and back. Just as a, like a microcosm of the mega journey that the Lord Jesus was taking. And on each of these journeys, the Lord, uh, John addresses a different objective as to why Jesus came into this world and why he returned. So this is going to give us a very simple outline of John's Gospel. Chapter 1 is our introduction. That's what we'll be looking at today. And then the four journeys are described. First of all, in chapters 2 to 4, then the second journey is chapters 5 and 6. The third journey is 7 to 11. And the fourth journey is a very long uh, journey, a long description of it, including the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And that takes us from chapter 12 to the very end. An interesting feature of each of these journeys is that the Lord went to Jerusalem not just as a trip, but for a very specific reason, and it was for a feast, for one of the annual festivals of the Lord. And there, uh, John records which ones they are. So the first journey is to go to celebrate the Passover feast. The second journey, it was just for one of the feasts of the Jews. We're not sure which one it was. The third one, it was for the Feast of Tabernacles. And the fourth one was again for the Passover feast. So you notice the first journey and the last journey were both for the Passover. And that would take us back to the book of Exodus. uh, And we may just mention that a little bit later. So with that in mind, let's see how John introduces his book. Uh, I just warn you, it's a little abstract in the terminology that he uses. But he's trying, obviously, to communicate something really fundamental about why God entered this world. So let's read from John chapter 1. I'm going to put the text on the screen. It's from the ESV. And I've color-coded it just to give you a few clues as to what I think the message of this passage is. So John begins with these words. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And let me just explain at this point that the John that has just been mentioned is not the same John who wrote the book. Uh, The man whose name was John was John the Baptist. And we're told, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, 
who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now, for the rest of this morning, I would simply like to go through those uh, pieces of text that we have read and make a few comments on each. One of the most obvious questions which you're probably asking is, who or what is this person called the Word? In the beginning was the Word. It's a strange title to give someone. But this last uh, section that we read, when it says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, it's clear that John is talking about the Lord Jesus. Jesus, or the person that we know as Jesus, but before he came into this world, in fact, right from before the beginning. Because unlike every other person who has ever been born, Jesus existed before being human, before becoming human. Each of the four gospel accounts that we have of the life of Jesus describe them from a different perspective. Mark begins his book with Jesus at about the age of 30. That's where he begins his story. Luke begins with the birth of Jesus, going back earlier. Matthew goes back even further, back to Abraham 2,000 years before Jesus was born. But John goes back even further than that. He goes back to before the beginning. The first verse of the Bible says that in the beginning, and then it says what God did. But John says that in the beginning... The Word already was. The Word, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, he never had a beginning. He always existed. So the Word is the one that we know as the Son of God or Jesus. And he existed before the universe was created. Now why does John choose this concept of the Word? Well that's something that only humans understand. We communicate with words. It's unique to humans. And when we think of a word, a word carries information, it carries meaning, but above all, it's for communication. And I think in what John is describing here, we get a hint of what is later revealed as the Trinity, with the Father and the Son. But the role of the Son is to communicate, to communicate God, in our case, to us. So how has the world communicated something of God down through history? Well, that's what the next little section talks about. Because John now talks about creation and the role of the word of Christ in creation. And he says that the person we know as Jesus, he was the one who created the universe. He revealed something of God in creation. And whether you look at creation through a telescope, or whether you look at it through a microscope and look inside a cell, 
everything that we see gives evidence or gives light of what, about what God is like. John refers to evidence as light. If people are in the dark, it means that they have no understanding, no information, uh, no light in that sense. Now, in this section, John focuses on one particular aspect of creation, which gives us evidence of God and of what God is like. He speaks of life. And he says that life, the life of God himself, is, is light, is evidence. Now, I don't know about you, but conscious, intelligent life to me is amazing. I work with people who try to develop artificial intelligence to try to recreate intelligence that we have. And whenever you hear people say computers are now becoming intelligent, don't believe a word of it. That's, because, that's why we call it artificial intelligence. It's not intelligent at all. Humans are not only intelligent, but we are conscious. We don't even know what consciousness is. But it is amazing that we can reason, we can think, we can ask questions that we're asking this morning. Think about God. And that must be evidence of something. We could not be created by some impersonal force. Whoever created us, gave us life, must have similar sort of life, only far superior than what we have. But what we have Conscious intelligence life, intelligent life, tells us that if there's a God, he has life which is conscious and intelligent. He is a person, not some impersonal force. And interestingly, humans are uniquely made so that we can understand words. We're the only creatures on this planet that communicate with words rather than grunts, squeaks, Royals or other ways that animals communicate with. But we understand language, very sophisticated language. That tells us that we have been made to learn about God, to understand the revelation of God through the person we call the Word. Now John says something rather interesting. He says the light, the revelation about God, shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. But you get the impression that the darkness is trying to suppress the light. Now, why would people try to suppress the light? Why would they try to suppress the truth which is being revealed about God? Well, we'll come to that later. So, that's one form of evidence about God. The very life that we as humans have. Is there any other evidence? Well, John then goes on in the next section to talk about more evidence that he has given. He says, there was a man sent from God. This is John the Baptist, not John the author. William already hinted and reminded us about the similar account of the creation in the very first page of the Bible, where it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Interestingly, it says on day four that God created two lights first light was the sun. We're familiar with that. Not so much in Northern Ireland, but we do read about it. But there was another light, and that was the moon. And the moon had a very special purpose. Because during the night, when it was dark, God still wanted people to have some light. 
And so he put the moon there. Now, if you just had the moon, if you just looked at the moon, what could you learn about the moon? Does it generate its own light? At first thought, if you see a full moon, you see how bright it is, you might think, oh, there is a light on the moon. But actually, the moon generates no light itself. It only reflects light. And from ancient times, if you had good eyesight, you would know that you can see shadows on the moon around the, the, the edge of the craters. And even just uh, when the moon is not full, you see that part of it is in darkness. So the moon is not like the sun. The sun always looks round because it is always generating light. But the moon pure, merely reflects light. It is not a source of any light itself. But it does send light into our world when there would otherwise be darkness. So the moon tells us there must be another source of light somewhere. When it's dark, we can't see that source of light, but we're getting hints of it. We're getting some revelation about it. The sun is the real light. The moon tells us that there is light somewhere else and it's coming. That sunrise is coming. So the moon is a sign to us to look forward in time to when the real light will shine at dawn. I don't know if you've spent much time in moonlight. It's supposedly very romantic. But partly for the reason for that is that the moonlight really only gives outlines. It masks some of the imperfections. It only gives us shadows and outlines. <coughs> very convenient at times. But it doesn't give you the, it doesn't show up the full truth. It just gives you outlines, pictures, shadows, uh, which is a word which the Bible uses. Now, with that in mind, think about John the Baptist. John was a prophet. John says, uh, the writer John says that John was not light himself, but he was reflecting light. He was bringing light to people who previously had lived in darkness, but he said, the light, the real light is coming. So prophets like John, John in some ways was the culmination, the climax of all the prophets in the Old Testament. Some have described him as the last prophet, the last of the prophets. But when you think of the prophets in the Old Testament, this was before Jesus came. This was before we could see the real light. But even in those dark centuries, God provided light and truth to this world through the prophets. Now, as John says, the prophets were not divine in themselves. The prophets, no prophet in history of any religion, has any authority in themselves. Even the prophets in the Old Testament, who gave true revelation of what God was like, did, did not, were not divine in themselves, did not have divine authority themselves. It was the word of God which came to them which had the authority. The prophets, if you say, well, how do we know they're true? How do we know that the light that they give is from God? Well, one way of validating that is to notice that they often made predictions about the future, often about world events, significant world events that they had no control over, about empires that would rise, that would fall, <laughs> nations that would become powerful and then would become nothing. And in history, those all came true. So that's the mark that these prophets were, had uh, word from God himself. 
And in particular, they spoke about the person who would come, the Messiah, as it was called, or Christ. They didn't know who or precisely when this person would come, but the Spirit of God was telling them that the light that they were giving this world is that someone was going to come. The real, true light was going to step into this world. And as you go through the Old Testament, more and more detail is given about this person who was going to come. As I mentioned, the Old Testament, uh, we see shadows and outlines of what was coming, pictures, if you like, of what the real thing was going to look like, so that when the real person came, we would recognize that this person is from God. And then that momentous time in history came when the true light, the Lord Jesus, came into this world and was indeed coming into the world and uh, beginning his ministry at the same time as John the Baptist was preaching. And that was a momentous time. That was what all history had been leading up to. The true light, like the sun, entering this world. So in that sense, the coming of the Lord Jesus was like sunrise. After thousands of years of darkness, now the true light was entering our world. And he is not simply another prophet. He is the truth. He is the light that all the other prophets have been talking about. And Jesus in John's Gospel twice says that he is the light of the world. And then John says a surprising thing. He says that the, the true light came into the world, was in the world. The world was made by him, and yet he was not recognized. He came to his own people, and they did not receive him. Why? Why did particularly the leaders of the Jewish religion, who had all those prophets, the words of the prophets before, why did they not receive Jesus with open arms? There are some people who get so used to living in the moonlight, living at night, that they prefer it to sunlight. So there were some people who preferred darkness to night. The religious leaders of Israel were very familiar with those Old Testament pictures, those shadows. But what they forgot was that those pictures were always pointing forward to say that the real thing is going to come. And because they got preoccupied with the pictures, almost like children, when the real thing appeared, they preferred the pictures and turned away from the real thing. For example, they had animal sacrifices. When they wanted to get forgiveness, God had given them a picture in the Old Testament that you bring a lamb and it is sacrificed instead of you so that you can be forgiven. Now, it was just a picture. And then the Lord Jesus came. And he was the fulfillment of that. He was going to be the real sacrifice, really to set people free from their sin. But the Jews, well, they liked the temple. They liked the animal sacrifices. And they say, this is what we want. We're comfortable with this. And they ignored the real thing. And the result of that was that the sacrifices had no value whatever. They were like, like nocturnal creatures who live in the night and in the dark quite happily, but they run away from the light. I don't know if you've ever maybe been in, gone to a garden and lifted up a rock 
and looked underneath. Sometimes you see little creatures uh, crawling about. And whenever the sunlight hits them, they run away as fast as they can to try to find somewhere dark to hide from the light. That's an instinctive reaction that some people have. And John is going to explore that question in great detail in his book. Why do some people not come to the light when it comes into the world? Is it because they're blind? Is it because they don't like the light? Is it because they don't understand it? It's a fundamental question, and it's a question you might like to ask yourself. If you've heard a bit from the Bible about the Lord Jesus, have you responded, have you come to him, or are you still standing at a distance? There are many cultures down through history and across the world that have been in the dark about what God is really like. There are some cultures, uh, before there was a Bible, that didn't even have any of the light, even from the Old Testament. And so they relied on their own, their own imagination to try to work out what God is like or what the gods are like. So the Greeks, for example, they believed in many gods that were somehow influencing people's behavior. They thought there was a, a god of war who prompted people to go to war, a goddess of love, a goddess of wisdom. And in the Greek world, cities uh, who wanted the support of a particular god would often build an impressive temple to that god to try to win the favor of the god. Others uh, turned to their god when they were in trouble, and that's the only time they thought about gods. And they, they thought, well, if there's a god there, I could do with all the help I need. But it was all just their imagination. Some cultures had a darker imagination. They imagined gods who were very angry, who became angry with them and demanded even human sacrifices just to placate them. Now God understood that before real light came into this world, that people would be at the mercy of their imagination. But that period of time changed when Jesus came, when he died, and particularly when he came back from the dead. And his resurrection means that now there is no room for speculation about whether or not there is life after death. And the Greeks had lots of imagined ideas of the afterlife, as many cultures do. God understands that in the dark, with no uh, light as to the truth, people will have their own ideas. But with Jesus coming, and particularly when he came back from the dead, uh, we now have no room for speculation as to whether or not there is life after death. Uh, even if it's well-intentioned imagination and speculation. Now, some of you may have been brought up in a culture where you did not have the Bible, or, or perhaps where you could not understand it. Maybe you went to the local temple, coming up to exam times, just hoping that, well, if any of these gods exist, I could do with any help that there might be, or go in a, crisis, a time of crisis, just to get some support. But you're relying really on your imagination, hoping for the best. Or perhaps you've been brought up to believe that there is no God. And all these lights are false lights. There's just darkness. Darkness is all there is. Any suggestion that there is a God is just our imagination. Science is all that matters, we're told. And science tells us that we are here by accident. There is no purpose or design in the universe. Our lives are meaningless. There is just darkness. But with the coming of Jesus... We no longer need to rely on our imagination or on the pseudoscience that tries to comment on questions 
outside the power of proper science to explain. And John's Gospel will reveal to us what God is really like by observing Jesus, who is the Word. I wonder how you respond to the light that, that comes when you learn about Jesus. Because how you respond is important. As we'll be hearing what Jesus is like in this series, do try to analyse and observe your own reaction inside you. How do you respond? Will you respond positively to what you learn? Or will you turn away from that? These are issues that John will discuss in quite some detail in his book. So what is God like then? What did Jesus reveal about God? Let's see how John summarises this. He says, The Word became flesh, speaking of the Lord Jesus being born. But just look at the next few words. I'm going to highlight one word that occurs time and time again. He says that the Lord Jesus came full of grace and truth. We've all received grace upon grace. He says the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't, you don't have to be an expert to see what's very much on John's heart. The great revelation of the Lord Jesus, of what God was like, is grace. Now, what is grace? Well, think of grace as generosity. What this means is that God gives. He likes to give, to give freely. He doesn't sell, he gives. Now, that's important, because in many religions, people think they have to give. You have to give to God, and if you give enough, then he'll respond by helping you. That's completely the opposite of what John saw in the Lord Jesus. Jesus spoke about the gift of God. He spoke about a God who wants to give generously and freely, without price, without you having to pay. And John contrasts that with the law. He says the law came was given through Moses. In the Old Testament, God gave a moral code. Sometimes we call it the Ten Commandments. Now, law is good. It's uh, good aspirations. And every religion and every non-religious society has moral laws. But what does the law do? Sometimes uh, you may have had the experience of driving and you see blue flashing lights behind you and it's a police car who is calling on you to stop. What do you think? Do you say, oh good? Or do you say, oh dear, I must have broken the law? Because why else would the police stop me? We expect the police to condemn us. You don't expect a policeman to come up, knock the window of your car and say, good evening sir, uh, I just I noticed that you were keeping the speed limit and here's a little gift just to express our gratitude to you. Well done. That's not the job of the law. The job of the law is to condemn. And the law, even of any religion, condemns. It's good aspiration. But what happens when you break the law? The law cannot make you feel any better about yourself. It condemns you. And all religion based on trying to keep moral laws is doomed to failure because it cannot change us on the inside. But the thing about grace is, and particularly the grace that the Lord Jesus brought, was it has the power to change people's lives, to transform our lives on the inside. And the unique feature of the way that the Lord Jesus revealed grace was that he revealed grace and truth together. He was able to talk to people about the wrong that they had done, 
without them running away, without them being afraid. That's remarkable. Because often when preachers maybe talk to you about your sin and what you've done, we try to cover it up, we try to justify ourselves, or we don't even go back and say, I don't want to hear that. But if you listen to the Lord Jesus and see how he dealt with people who had done wrong, he was able to do it in a way that made them want to come to him because he could save them from that. And finally, what did John the Baptist say about Jesus? I've shown this picture with the, the moon and the sun <coughs> in the same time, but that's a picture of that period in time when the Lord Jesus was present and John the Baptist was talking about the Lord Jesus. John, and when that happens, you know, as the sun gets brighter, the moon gets dimmer. And that's exactly what John the Baptist said. Now that Jesus had come, he said, he must increase, I must decrease. But what was John's key message to people about Jesus? There's a phrase, we didn't take time to read it, but twice John says this. He says, behold the Lamb of God. First time he says, who takes away the sin of the world. That to John, that role of Jesus as the Lamb of God was critical in John's thinking. What did he mean? Remember I said that prophets like John were pointing forward. They were giving pictures of what the real life would do and be like. And in the Old Testament there are many pictures of lambs. Sometimes religious rituals of lambs. But in every case the lamb had to die. And it had to die instead of other people, so that other people could be set free. Now, in John's book, there's one particular picture, which is the Passover. We saw that the first and the last journeys were uh, to celebrate the Passover. And at the Passover celebration, everyone had to take a lamb. It was going back to that original event when Israel were slaves. They were in the grip of this world's ideology this world's religion, this world's materialism, they needed to be set free from that. And to be set free, God gave them a picture of what it takes to set people free. He said, take a lamb and kill it and put its blood around the door. And that's what every Passover festival remembered. And when John said about Jesus, he is the lamb of God, one, one key thing he was saying is that Jesus is going to die. His life is going to have to be shed so that you can be set free. Set free from the grip of sin. Set free from this world's ideologies. Set free from those forces within us that would leave us in the dark, that would keep us in fear and uncertainty, and uh, which would keep us from knowing God. So how do you come to know God? There were two men who heard John the Baptist say, point to Jesus and say he's the Lamb of God and they followed him and they asked him a rather awkward question they, they didn't ask him a theological question all the, their theological questions just went out of their head uh, and all that they could think of saying was <clears throat> where are you staying? not a very meaningful question but the Lord took that and what he said was come and see he didn't give them a theological lecture he didn't give them a formula for how to come to know God he said, come and spend time with me and see. And so they spent the rest of the day with him. We don't know what they talked about. It must have been a fantastic day. But as a result of that, they gave their lives to the Lord Jesus and followed him. 
for the rest of their lives. If you want to know what God is like, if you would like to, to get to know him in your own life, to understand why Jesus came in this world, into this world, can I invite you this morning to do what Jesus invited those two men to do? And that is simply to come, to come to the Lord Jesus and see. As we go through John's Gospel, we'll see more and more of what he was like. You might like to read ahead yourself in it. But everywhere, look and see what the Lord Jesus is like. Spend time, as it were, in your thoughts with him. And watch how you respond. I hope that your hearts will open up, that you'll respond to him the way we respond in the morning when we see a beautiful sunrise. Let's just close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grand plan in creating this universe with the plan of creating humans who could come to know you personally. We thank you that it took the Lord Jesus to come from heaven to show us what you are really like, but to call us to come and see and to come and to know the God who made us. Father, we pray that those of us who are believers would come to know the Lord Jesus and love him even more. And those who are not yet believers, we pray that they would come to see what the Lord Jesus is like and come to trust him with their lives. In Jesus' name, Amen.